0: One of the things I want to share with you and just kind of build on as we start this Sunday is some of the things that, that I feel that God has really impressed on my heart. And over the next several times that I preach, I'll be sharing with you on, on, on these things. And it's simply this, one of the, the, the three words that just highlight really where we are and what we've got to focus on. And, and the reason is because Jesus is coming. I, I, know we, I know we always say that, but Jesus is coming. We don't have forever. Literally, we don't. And so we, we need to be ready to do everything that God wants us to do and to be who God wants us to be to because He's coming. And so as we were going through, there's three words, and it's simply this, and it sums up our Christian life. It sums up what the church ought to be, what the church is, and it's simply this. Brothers and sisters, if you want to know what's going on this year, if you want, you're going to hear it over and over again this year, it's simply this. Gather, grow, and go gather, gather, grow, and go. Listen, for some of you, I'm talking to the choir. That's okay, because if I'm talking to the choir, it's your job now to pass this on to somebody else. Right, And so we're going to look at, for the next couple of weeks when I preach, just this, this, this idea of gathering, and ga- the word gathering. And then we'll look at growing and going, and that'll be over the next several weeks. But we've got to focus on this gathering aspect. You know, we live in an interesting time, interesting world, where the idea that gathering together in the church has been minimized. And this is not something new. This is something that has happened for quite a while now. And there's a lot of reasons for it, Right? I, I want to sum it up with this very simple statement, and you can chew on this for those of you who are, are listening and, and, and care to go further in your own inquiry and, and, and research. And it's simply this. It's that because for many people, the idea of the church gathering as one is an ideal, but not the reality that it is right now. And you can get philosophical, theological, and a lot of different things. It's not just an ideal where Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Where Jesus, the apostle, says that Christ is the head of his church. It, is, it exists. It is here. It's founded by Jesus. And Jesus is here in our midst among his church, the body, the household of faith, the household of God, among his people. It is a reality. It's not just an ideal. I'll tell you why. Because Jesus died and rose again. And when you receive Him by faith as your Lord and Savior, He lives in you. And when He lives in you and we get together as God's people, He's here, He's already here, but in a powerful, dynamic way among His people, He's speaking and He's moving and He's doing things. Let me tell you, if we understand and take to heart what it means to truly gather as God's people. And we'll talk about that in the next few weeks. What is all that about? This idea of gathering. You know, here's the truth. Here's the truth. We go through such great lengths and massive expenditures, if you will, relative to our own budget and exert so much energy, right, to be a part of some event, to assemble with others When we place high value on that event, yes? When you care, when it's priority, when it's important, you're there. I'll give you an example. It's very practical and it just happens to be that time, right? It just falls on that. In one week from now, you will literally have, literally, the statistics close to a billion people around this world that will watch Super Bowl 56. I'm not making that number up. Super Bowl 56 is coming up, and do you know how much money, the tens and thousands of dollars people spend on a ticket? And for some of them, ah, it's like a penny to me, I suppose. But regardless, tons of money and all the time people will go for the whole weekend or even the week and then they'll sit there with 65 or 70,000 people for hours even before the game and then during the game even to watch a stupid halftime show sorry and they'll be there right for all that now listen it is fun it's a great game it's it's a wonderful thing but but people go and they do things and that they value and they're part of things that they value and place a lot of priority on right? We do. You do. And I'm thinking about what what it, the picture that it paints for us that really applies to us as God's people, as the church, right? Is that God has created people. They're obviously relational and social beings, but he's created them together. Even, even though you'll have 75,000 people and half of them will be like Screaming and yelling at the, the Rams. And the other half will be saying boo to the Bengals. And they'll be, they'll be, they'll be enemies in a certain sense within that stadium. And yet they're there for one reason. It's, it's the football game. Yes, they're there for their team, but there's a social aspect too that people just enjoy and that, and there is, there's, it, it's fun, right? And then there's the game and everything else that comes with it, but people will spend money and time on what's important to them and they'll be where it's really important for them. Can I ask you a question? That was, and, and, and this is off the heels of, a, there's many amazing comments in our discussion at the business meeting, but somebody said, listen, it's what, what's the priority, man? Like, is it about priority, or is it about preference in our lives? What is it now, nowadays? It's all about priority. What is it? And somebody else said, and, 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 and I, I can relate to this, because for a lot of us it was too, but that growing up, but, but even now, that the idea that we get together, that we value and have high priority on the church is because being together with God's people is, was, and, and God help us, that it would be a part of our lifestyle. It's not just a routine. It's not just something we do, but it's part of our lifestyle, the idea of getting together, gathering as God's people. Listen, in short, this is what it comes down to. We do what we value, period. You're not going to get around that. You can't prove me wrong because I will turn around and show you how what you value you do over and over and over again in your life. You do what you value. This Sunday is Communion Sunday here at New Hope Chapel, and by the way, just the idea that we call it Communion Sunday, and it goes by different names: Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, Eucharist, and something, which means that we give thanks, right? And that's actually a, a positive, good thing. It's biblical, actually, in light of what Paul writes in Colossians. But but it's it's common union, and so. If you break down communion, we have a common union. And that's what brings us together. The football game brings all those people together. They're physically in that place and in that time. And then, of course, there are those watching it on television. And and But we come together because we value, first and foremost, what Jesus has done for us in making us part of his body. And then we value each other as a result of that. And so when we get together, we know that there are such great benefits of an encouragement, blessing, constructive criticism. Yes, that's a positive. It's good. It helps us to get back on track and, and going in the right direction. Those are all positive things that come as a result of that. But we have this common union, and it all starts with Jesus. That's why we're here. He's the head of the, ch- of the church. He's the quarterback of our team, right? So if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11... Verses 17 to 34. And I will read this scripture. And we're very familiar with it because we read it oftentimes on Communion Sunday. But I'm reading that portion. And in chapter 11, Paul is talking about how worship, how, how things should be happening in the church. What is the proper order or way when God's people gather that things should play out? And of course, he focuses on the Lord's Supper, communion. And he talks about that as well. And so I'm going to backtrack because normally we start at verse 23 when we have communion and we read there. But we're going to go back to verse 17 and I'll read all these verses quickly, but I'll read them. And I want you to notice something. You must note something in this text. You can't escape it. I believe it's there for a purpose, but you've got to note the repetition. You've got to note the emphasis that Paul makes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit here in this text. Very important. And hopefully you pick them up as I read it and I emphasize even in my reading. Verse 17 in 1 Corinthians 11, I'm reading from the New American Standard. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, he says to the Corinthian church, because you have together, you, because you have come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, in order that those who are approved may have become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry, and another is drunk. What? Do you know? I mean, I could just see Paul writing this as he's, What? And in my text, it has an explanation point. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this, I will not praise you. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself, if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick and a number asleep. But if we judged ourselves rightly, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord in order that we may not be condemned along with the world. Verse 33. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat... Wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that you may not come together for judgment. And the remaining matters I shall arrange when I come. Now, why am I reading this? I mean, maybe you're not familiar with this, maybe you are. But we often read that middle portion, and then before that text that we read in communion, and right after at the end there, five times in this text, Five, count them, five times the idea, the word come together, the thought is there in that text. Five times. You know what that means? That means you should pay attention. That means you got to take it seriously. That means that it is critical and absolutely necessary that if there's communion or the Lord's Supper, that it requires that we physically come together. I shared this in the first service, and Pastor Dan was here in the first service, and he knows. When we we when when we first shut down then we opened up, we did our live stream, and we made a decision that okay, we'll have we'll have communion virtually. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, I, I will say, but I don't think it best fits what Jesus intended for us to do in eating from the Lord's table in communion. I do not believe that. And we can argue about that, we can discuss that. That's my personal opinion. I'm not gonna die fighting over it but i do believe that the idea that that it just felt so weird that i'm going to be partaking and eating and especially in light of what even paul writes here in first corinthians about the idea of coming together oh but we're coming together in spirit and and we're i'm breaking bread in my home and you're doing it there and yes yes and and no that's fine and again i don't know that it's wrong but we have to be careful because we are told here that when we come together repeated five times there's something critical about this word the idea of gathering together now I will also say it's really important that the idea that we have technology that assists us and helps us and is used as a tool that God has given us and I do believe that by the way with with that we can Send out these signals and these sermons all over the world or people can see them anywhere. I think it's fantastic. I do. But let me just say something. Let me just say something and you've got, you've got to hear this and none of you already know this because we've said it in different circles. This is a great tool. It's a fantastic tool and it's fine. I think it's great that we can use it in this way. But listen, the technology is just a tool. It's not a replacement. It's a gift. It's a gift for circumstances that required. It's not a replacement. Period. End of story. It's not. That's not how God designed us. That's not how God designed and instituted His church, that it would be a replacement for that. It's a great tool, but it's not a replacement. Please note that church, as we call it, the body of Christ, the people coming together, is never less than a gathering. Can it be done virtually? Yes. Is that what God intends all the time? Probably not. It can be done, but probably not. A local church is an assembly. And if a church never meets, it is no church at all. I feel like saying, this is me, but I'll say, it. got a problem with that statement? Like, really, it's really critical when you look, and I'll I'll cover that in a second. And communion, as we participate in a minute, communion points to this gathering that, that occurred, even in Jesus' time when he gathered with his disciples, even Judas, even Peter who betrayed him, and even Judas who knew he was going to, I'm sorry, betray him, and Peter who denied him. And he sits with them, and he, and he has dinner with them, and There's a gathering and there's fellowship in it together. And that that gathering still takes place today as it did in the first church because that's what we're doing right here, right now, today. Assembling isn't just something that churches do. A meeting is, or this gathering, in part, is what a church is. It's not just what we do. It's what the church is. It's a gathering. It's an assembly. God has saved us, as you know, as individuals. He saved Deb, He saved me, He saved Andrea, He saved Donovan, He saved Jeremy, and He saved all of us individually, right? And He saved us to something bigger than ourselves. He saved us something more than just us as individuals. He saved us to a gathering, a collection of people where He spoke and He made His call out to us and He gathered us to be a gathering. You know, Christianity, God never intended it for it to be lived in a vacuum or individually. It's to be a corporate assembly is why Jesus saved us and made us his church. I'll give you just a quick summation. Think about history and scripture in particular, but think about church or or history of God's people, right? Picture the nation of Israel. You You know Israel. Right? God rescues them from Egypt, and he gathers them together. But I will argue that God gathers them. Think about what happened. Right before, they're they're escaping all the the Egyptians. And Moses, their fearless leader, their deliverer, is right in front of them. They get to the Red Sea. They have nowhere to go. And what happens at the banks of the Red Sea? There is a massive gathering. Right? Right? Nowhere to go. What are we going to do? And God's people are gathered. And I'm sure they're saying, now what, Moses? And Moses says... Now what, God? And God says, stretch out your rod, your staff, and the waters will part. And Moses does so. And away they go without ever getting wet. And behind them, their enemies are consumed and they all go through. They're gathered one together, physically, all together, believing, trusting, not just because their eyes saw it, but because in the first place they left because Moses said, we're getting out. And there's this people who are gathered and God delivers and saves them. And then when they leave, they go to the Mount Sinai where they get the Ten Commandments. And they are gathered, assembled at the base of Mount Sinai where they receive the Ten Commandments. They receive the laws of God and His desire and His intentions for them. And in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 10, there's something really powerful. Because Moses refers to that moment at the base of Mount Sinai, and he says, the day of assembly. In that day of assembly, where they were all gathered together, and even at other key junctures in Israel's history, the nations similarly gathered as an assembly before their covenant God, many times over and over and over again. Do I need to remind you of all the feasts that they had, and they were all assembled. It wasn't like the 12 tribes all came together to celebrate the feast, and and the tribe of Bob, okay, just but my tribe, says, nah, not this feast. They didn't have that option that that was that was their priority was nowhere near they when they got together for the feasts and all the other celebrations they had they all got together they were gathered assembled congregated together to hear from God to magnify God and to do what God told them to do they were together they were assembled again meeting together and assembling is what a church is who the people of God are in so many ways the word, if we jump forward to the New Testament, and we're familiar with this for assembly, is the word ecclesia. And if you've been in Bible studies or if you've been in church long enough, that's the church, right? The ecclesia, it's the, the, the assembled ones, the ones who are the called out ones who are assembled. And it's the same word in the New Testament that the writers use to refer to the local church. Like, for example, New Hope Chapel. But it has amazing connections, this word, to Exodus chapter 12 and verse 3. And Exodus chapter 12 and verse 3, and how amazing it is that it's connected to communion, really, in the end. Because that's where the Passover is instituted and God says, this is what you ought to celebrate before you cross. And he's... This is how you're doing the Passover with the Lamb. This is what's happening. And this is how you ought to celebrate it. And, and in verse 3, there's this idea. There's a term for assembly there. When they're assembled together to hear this from the Lord as God's people. That has a connection to, to to the term ecclesia When you trace it back to this word in Hebrew. And it's the same word for assembly. That God's people are gathered together before Him. And they are assembled. And it's an amazing Amazing connection. It requires almost a separate study to understand how awesome it is. And really, in simplistic terms, it's just a term for gathering. But when it's applied to the church, you have to remember that this word carries that rich Old Testament connotation of standing together as God's chosen people before Him. I apologize for my emotion, but this is, it's just incredible that God would even choose me and that we can have this where we're gathered together. And so if we go through the New Testament, what does it teach us about the local gathering of the church? Well, first, we see that the church is regularly gathered, don't we? We see that in the book of Acts. We also see it in Paul in chapter 11 and chapter 14 and as the first letter to the Corinthians. He uses phrases like, when you come together as a church and the whole church comes together. He didn't say, if you come together as a church. If you feel like coming together as a church. When you come together as a church. It's the same language that is used by Jesus. When they are talking about prayer and and, and and fasting and prayer, and Jesus says, when you pray, not if you pray, if you feel like praying, if you know what, you have an energy to pray, when you pray, which means it's a pattern, a regular lifestyle, part of your lifestyle. It's a thing that's part of your lifestyle. It happens regularly that you're praying. It happens regularly that you're meeting together. And Paul says, when you come together as a church when you gather as a church it's regular and consistent secondly the church assembly the gathering of the church is a distinct event that's awesome it's something to look forward to it's something to mark in your calendar and say i can't wait or not Ugh. sunday 815 man Means I gotta get up at 8:14 and run over there. No, it's something that you have and you look forward to, it's priority, and it's a distinct event, and it means something. And and, and it's it's evident because Paul provides specific instructions on what believers should do in church. That is the church meeting. People who are gathered that are God's people, and he does that in chapter 14, chapter 12, chapter. His epistle from like chapter 10 on. Thirdly, even large churches in the New Testament met as one body in the New Testament. Did you know that? In Acts chapter 5, verse 12, there were thousands of believers historically who belonged to the church in Jerusalem. And yet, Acts 5, 12 says this. Yet they all met all together in Solomon's portico. Yes, they were outside in a public place and they corporately assembled, they gathered as God's people in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem church in Acts chapter 5, verse 12. It is vital, it's critical, it's important to gather. Fourthly, and I will just give you this this truth because we'll talk about it in the next few times I preach. But there are certain activities that can only happen when Christians are gathered. It's true. There are, only cert- there are certain things. The only time and way it can happen is when you are physically gathered. And we'll talk about those in the next few weeks. But one of them is the sharing of the Lord's Supper. The power behind it. Again, it doesn't mean you can't do a virtual thing, and I'll address that in a minute too. Again, because it's interesting. But but we share in that Lord's Supper. I mean, and and while and listen, it's true that many of the things that we can do that we're told in Scripture, they do happen in smaller groups in the Wednesday women's prayer meeting, the Monday night men's prayer, in the Thursday Bible study, in the Friday night Zoom meeting. A lot of these things can happen. I I yes, they do happen. I, I don't mean to say that doesn't happen, but. But we should always assume if we take the whole of Scripture that these belong first and foremost to the main congregational gathering That because we, we think about the biblical emphasis on the whole church meeting together. It's true. We should assume that that all falls underneath and it's not separate from the corporate gathering where God's people gather all together. It's a powerful thing and there are certain things that happen only when we're gathered together. And I'll do, give you one more real quick. Fifth, the New Testament teaches us that church discipline is an act of the gathered congregation. Matthew 18 tells us all about that and Jesus envisions the church as a whole, the ecclesia, and they're speaking to an unrepentant sinner there. And in order to do this, they must be gathered in his name. And he says that wherever two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. Now, when we say church discipline, don't take that as a negative term. It's a positive thing because church discipline is never about harming. It's about healing. I talked about that in Sunday school just briefly, but it's about healing, not harming. You know, when you're off the rails in your spiritual journey, in your walk with Jesus, when you gather together, and yes, it can happen in a smaller group, but when it happens in a corporate sense, when it, we talk about discipline, when there's unrepentance going on, we're all able to then say, listen, let's get you back on the track. Are you willing to do this to get there? That's a good thing. That's a positive thing. That's accountability. That's encouragement. That's shouldering the weight and the burden and, and then pulling along as we were talking on Sunday school and linking arms and getting through and sympathizing and empathizing and encouraging and going where we're supposed to go. That's a powerful thing and we do that when we're gathered. So what's the picture? I mean, what, what what is this all? What is this painting for us? Here's the, here's the reality that the church is a blood bought people. What I mean is, we're saved because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, and then it gathers right, and we get together, and we're we're devoted to the worship of the one true God. The church is set apart from the world. That the church is committed to serving one another and to love their neighbors. And the church does all this by assembling together in a specific space and time. You know who makes this all possible? You know who makes us get together? You know who makes us want to do this and to understand who we are and that there is so much that God has for us? I'm going to quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer. There's this amazing little book. It's called Life Together. If you've never read this, please Read this book. It is awesome. And I, and, I, and I say that because it's full of truth. And it's such a challenge. And it's all about the community and the church being together. And how these people during World War II, how he's pastoring these people in prisons, and how he's there gathered with them. All these different people. And they are gathered as a community of believers. And they are doing everything God wants them to do within community. The gathered people of God. How does all this even happen? As you can tell, I have a bunch of tabs because I've read this multiple times. But I will read in chat, verse twenty. Uh, I'm sorry, in page twenty-one, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this: Christianity means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. No Christian community is more or less than this. Whether it be a brief single encounter or the daily fellowship of years, Christian community is only this. We belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. I mean, what else do I have in common with Anne over there? Think about it. But now we have more in common through our conversations because the commonality was Jesus. Jesus. Man, that is awesome. Think about that. And no matter how different we are, it keeps us in our spirits like this, right? And I mean, we, we are the same family, the same body of Christ, and we're, we're the church, and we gather together, and amazing things happen. I gotta keep reading this. He says, what does this mean? He says, it means first that a Christian needs others because of Jesus Christ. It means second, that a Christian comes to others only through Jesus Christ. It means, third, that in Jesus Christ, we have been chosen from eternity, accepted in time, and now we're united for eternity. And some of you are saying, oh, no. <laughs> but we are. We are united. God has brought us together to be one. His body getting together a church is more than a gathering, of course, if you think about it, right? Because we're going to leave and we're going to disperse, right? We're going to go different ways. We've gathered and then we kind of we scatter. But yet during the week, we can gather in smaller pockets, but then we gather again on Sunday and we look forward to that with joy and amazing things happen when we do that. And yet, it's members, you and I, continue to be part of the church throughout the week as we serve and represent Christ in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods. But listen, a church is never less than a gathering. I say it again. Think about this. We have a legislature in Rhode Island, in case you forgot after these past two years. We have a legislature in Rhode Island, like many states do. We're a small state, so people might know some of them. You rub shoulders. Some people might. I mean, if you're further up north, you rub shoulders with them and whatever. So some people, but, but, but you take each legislature later who's, who's elected on their own, they all have influence, don't they? They have some influence on their own, some have more than others, but they have, they're have influential individuals, you know, of course. But in, in the, the, the deepest part of it, at the core of it all, when you think about the legislature, they are who they are as an assembly. Yes? Look around you. You can't do it by yourself. God didn't design you to do it by yourself. God designed you to do it as a corporate assembly called the church. Our state legislature is a corporate institution. Corporate. That means there's gathering people together. And one that depends on all its members gathering in a place at a specific time to make decisions. And in a similar way, God designed the local church. It doesn't work any other way. Two things Before we have communion, I have to share with you. What makes, what is it that makes the gathering or the assembly of the church such an important part of the church's identity? What is it? I'll give you two things. First of all, I believe it's because the assembly makes the church visible to itself. Again, I invite you, look around. We're not just an ideal we are a reality. The church is a reality, not just an ideal. It's here. It's physical. It's bodily on this earth representing Jesus Christ. That's our job. And that's what we're doing. We're his hands, feet, and his heart here on this planet being fleshed out. He is being fleshed out through us. And here we are. And we make, when we get together, we see who we are. That's powerful stuff. Think of a big family, right? Pastor Dan mentioned last week about the family picture, and and you get a picture, all of a sudden somebody runs over, oh, where am I, where am I? look for themselves, and it's that self aspect, right? But in the body of Christ, that picture is awesome because we run, yes, we see ourselves, but we see ourselves for a different reason, right? We see ourselves to see that we're part of a bigger family of God. That's what it's about. It's not just about you, as we heard last week. But it's at the end. Again, they take the picture so we see ourselves and we remember the bond that we share with the family. And it evokes memories and that inspires us to do more with them when we can. Amen? And so when a church gathers for corporate worship, the congregation is presented, as it were, to itself. And this happens whenever a congregation means, uh, meets. You know it's amazing because when we think about and we look around and I see a brother or a sister walk in and I know that or maybe you know that they've gone through something very difficult and you see them with you and all the other assembled brothers and sisters raising their hand and singing something like it is well with my soul doesn't that do something for you it does it speaks of something. It says, wow, I'm a part of something more than myself, and I belong, and they went through, and I went through it with them, and I can help them, and they can help me. And, and, and you, you put flesh on something that's happening in the supernatural and in spiritual, and it's a powerful thing. And so we, we become visible to ourselves when we gather together and we're reminded, oh yeah, I am part of something bigger than just me, and that's good. Are folks ever at home, sick, or away on vacation? Do every you get sick or go on vacation? Yeah, yeah, some of you do, right? Yeah. And sure, but basically, when you think about it, I can still expect to see those people here every week. And as I look across, you know, and I look here, and I'm looking at you again, I'm seeing people, as I mentioned earlier, who, who, have, who are and have helped each other to follow Jesus. And here we are, gathered, Confessing the same faith, hearing the same scripture, singing the same songs of praise and glory to God. And it's a powerful thing, and we're sharing the same bread and cup and communion as we're going to do in just a minute. It's powerful. And it's not just that we see who the church is to ourselves, a visible picture, but it's also, secondly, the second thing I'll share is that the assembled church makes the church visible to the universe. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says this. And he's really talking about why God joined the Jew and the Gentile together to be one body, His church. And he says, so that through the church, so that through the church, so that through Bob Geruda, the manifold wisdom of God might... Now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So that through Dennis Champlain, the church and manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. No. The church, yes, you individually, but the church collectively. It is made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. The manifold wisdom of God, which was simply this, that he had a plan that there would be someone named Jesus, his son, who would take on flesh and come and gather with humanity to point them to their creator God who wants to be in relationship with them. That's an awesome thing. That is an awesome, awesome thing. We become visible to the world that here gathered on Sunday morning is Christ's Church at New Hope Chapel. It's beautiful, it's powerful, and it has so much benefits. In front of you, you have your communion cups. And I ask you to take those, and they're funny in the seats. I'm gonna I'm gonna grab mine because I forgot to grab it real quick and I'll be back up there in a second. But communion is a picture of that oneness, of the gathering, of assembling, right, over a meal. You can open it, but just be careful because it'll be a minute. Let me ask you a question as we close and we read a scripture one more time about communion and then partake. What kind of Jesus are we serving? What kind of Jesus are we following? What kind of Jesus are we trying to emulate in our lives? What kind of Jesus died for you and I don't mean to be extreme and don't take it that way, but Jesus is not a pixelated God on a screen somewhere. He's not. And while there are benefits and it's a tool, all the technology in the world can never replicate what it means that Jesus lives in you and that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And in this flesh, the, the, the Spirit of God resides. And when we come together... And we flesh out what it means to be the body of Christ that can never be replaced in a pixelated fashion. Sure, there are things we can benefit from. I get that. But Jesus is not virtual. He's real. That might be hard for some of you to take. And I know some of you are squirming because you're techno-geeks or tech-geeks. But it's the truth. It's the truth. Matthew chapter 26. Jesus said these words when he gathered with his disciples. He asked them to prepare for the last Passover before he died on the cross and gave his life for the sins of many. He said in verse 26, And while they were eating, Jesus took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Oh man. Brothers and sisters, family, when you hold this and you think about communion and how it's all about gathering and assembling and going to that table because think about it. When we're together and we're doing this and we see each other as the body of Christ in the flesh, And then we partake together in the flesh. Listen, it will never do, it will never take the place of things that we try to do outside of gathering together. What's your priority? What's the most important for you? Who's the most important to you? Is it Jesus? Because if it's Jesus, you will value his body, his bride, his household, the church equally as much. After all, Paul said in Ephesians, in chapter 5, when he's talking about husbands and wives, that Christ loved the church so much that he gave his life for her. The church. The assembled, called out, and gathered ones. And what a beautiful picture it is that when God's people gathered for the Passover... They found salvation. When the disciples gathered with Jesus, where Jesus initiated the Lord's Supper, he gave it to them and said, Take and eat and drink. And then he says, I won't do it again. And it's all about the gathering. In chapter 4 of Acts, they got together and they broke bread regularly, a, a picture of communion. And then Jesus says, There's ultimately going to be not just that right now we're proclaiming that Jesus died, but we celebrate that he died for our sins. And we also proclaim and look forward to the promise that every one of us who are His, past, present, and future, will one day be gathered again. Where? At the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's all about gathering because we've been gathered. Amen? Lord, thank you for this bread and this cup. Lord, even as it speaks to us and it symbolizes your body and your blood that was shed for us, we thank you that you physically came to this earth and you met with, you assembled, you gathered with broken people and you healed and you restored and you reconciled them back to the God, the Father. And you did that through your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you that you are working to gather us all together so that one day we'll be gathered in eternity, celebrating and praising you in glory forever and ever and ever. Lord, I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for your mercy. And I thank you for your grace that allows us to gather to celebrate you. In Jesus' name I pray. Let's eat of the bread together. Thank you, Lord. Let's drink of the cup together. Lord, thank you for this word. I pray, Lord, you just seal it in our hearts, Father. As we go, I pray that your Holy Spirit and your word would reinforce the necessity, the urgency of needing to gather, grow, and then go. Father, I pray that if we have taken lightly our assembling together, even if we are here physically, Lord God, that we would reevaluate and we would, Lord Jesus, find that bond that you give us and bring to us, Lord, that we would share in that. That, Lord Jesus, we would find that camaraderie. We would be one-minded. That we would, Lord, just be, Lord, heading towards the goal you've given us, Lord, and that is to proclaim the gospel, to share your love, and to praise you and give you all the glory for gathering us, that we could be the gathered. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Don't neglect gathering with others, and we'll see you next Sunday as we gather to worship the Lord, amen?